Father, your, um, your word gives us hope. And Lord, as I, um, as I reflected this morning uh, on what that means in my life and uh, how, my, uh, how my actions um, display hope, now, Father, this morning, as we just have a little bit of time together to talk um, about the passage this morning, uh, Lord, would you um, solidify uh, the idea in our mind uh, of what hope should be and its power in our life and why it matters. And so we'll re-ask these things in the, uh, in the confidence of your name. Amen. All right, so, um, so what I have over here is a horizon line. Um, anybody know what a horizon line is? Or what the horizon is? We say that. We have a garage, right, named after it. We'll go and look at, but what's the horizon line? Anybody know? A plus, you know, a plus students in here? From, I'm not sure exactly what, what discipline that would be under. Yes, sir? Uh, well, it's just the line where they meet. So just overthinking it a little bit. It's like, oh, it's the simple, it's a simpler uh, explanation. So the horizon line is where the earth meets the sky, where, where they come together. When you are looking um, at a sunset or a sunrise, where is your eye drawn? Is it drawn to all of it? Is it drawn to the earth? Is it drawn to the sky? Uh, you, you, you horizon watchers, you? Points of the sky. Anybody else have a different answer? I think so, right? So I think that that is where everybody's eye is drawn. And so we're going to, uh, I want you to keep that in mind as we think about what um, our scripture this morning. Uh, Romans eight twenty four through 25. Somebody read that for me uh, in a loud, clear voice. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what, uh, for, what he is, for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So we've got uh, the word hope there several times. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? So what we're talking about here, right, is, is hope in what we do not have in front of us. For if we hope what we do not, for we hope for, right, what we should, right, then we will with patience and perseverance eagerly wait for it. Um, if you'll turn to uh, keep your kind of finger mark uh, in the um, Romans 8 account, turn to Genesis, real, uh, Genesis 3 real quick for me. And uh, two uh, passages here from the, uh, from the fall narrative will be helpful uh, for us this morning. So there is a, a glimmer of hope even in the initial judgment. And so what I wanna, uh, why I want to kind of focus on that is because it will help us understand a few other things. So in the first book of the Bible, there are three narratives in the first uh, three chapters. There's one that talks about the cosmic creation, which includes the earth. Right? There's the more specific creation uh, narrative of the earth and man and animals, plants, all those sorts of things. And then the third narrative we have is the fall right, in judgment of man in creation. And so it's in, um, it's in this last narrative, right, that we have this glimmer of hope in the midst of judgment. And then we see this in the pronouncement in, um, in 3.15 at the end of uh, the curses. And it says this in 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. It's talking about uh, the snake and the, 
uh, who here is um, who here was uh, is Satan in between your seed and her seed, right? Enmity is strife. Enmity is di- enmity is division. Enmity is uh, separation. And then he makes this uh, makes this pronouncement. He says that he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So the idea is that there will that that uh, the snake or Satan right will have uh, some. Um, will have uh, some, um, in how the word eludes me, that, they will, <laughs> that something will be happening, right, that the Satan is doing that is afflicting man, right? But ultimately, uh, that there will be one that comes, and so in the old narrative, this is the idea of the snake crusher, right? There is someone who will do away with, right, this curse. That it's not something will happen, but someone, and so even in the midst of that curse, right, God pronounced that this curse will not linger or tarry forever, right? That it will be put down and there'll be a person that puts it down. And so that is worth mentioning. The second, uh, the first thing I guess we want to then talk about as it relates to hope is that it is embodied, right? Hope in the Christian sense is not just general random hope, right? In the Christian sense, it's embodied in the person and work of Christ, he was the foretold saving king. Here's the first kind of mention of something right here in Genesis 3.15. He's a foretold saving king uh, in the news that we have received and lived. Right? The gospel is news about a king. That there is a king that has come to do something that we need done. Right? We receive that news. Right? We believe that that news is true and then we exercise faith. We hope in what has happened, right, as a marker of what will happen, right? What God has done on the cross, what we, uh, his death, burial, uh, resurrection, and ascension, right, shows us of his power, and then he talks again of him coming again, right, him coming in glory. Now, when we think about what this hope is, and then also about how we live our uh, day-to-day lives, Right, we've got to, uh, we are drawn to that as we talk about it. Oh yeah, that's happening. Oh yeah, that's good. And yet, uh, our day-to-day lives, uh, I would characterize them as a struggle, right, in uh, lifting our eyes upwards. And so this is where the horizon uh, line comes in. So as we're thinking about what we do on a regular basis... Right, as I think that this horizon line gives us a good uh, kind of perspective about what our perspective is and our struggle with perspective. As we look at a sunset and we gaze on the beauty uh, that God has given us, right, our eyes are drawn upwards, but, but inevitably as that sun sets, our eyes are no longer upwards, but earthly. And that eye gaze comes exceedingly down. We see this best personified in the, uh, in the earthling, right, that has the phone, <laughs> that we're all kind of like this now, huh? I, uh, I've got a, a, a very poor, no, actually my relationship with my phone is actually very strong. And anybody else in here? Uh, and I've seen this increasingly, much to my chagrin, happen over the last couple months. So this is not a, this is not a kind of discussion about cell phone usage. It's just more of a, a picture of as I, as I walk around, everyone's not looking up, but they're looking down. 
And I think that's emblematic, really, of where uh, our fight is on a daily basis. That is, that God wants to constantly draw our, draw our eyes heavenward toward kingdom things, and we constantly struggle with what's in front of us. Amen? And so, what we hope in, right, what we need to place our hope in, so let's get this off the table, nobody's good at this, including me, okay? Nobody's good at keeping their eyes upward. So what we're going to talk about is the practical application of, of that all of us need to get better at eyes up, right? Of looking up, of understanding when I need a perspective shift, right? So here's, the, here's kind of the uh, first thing. It should be uh, the next slide. Hope in the wrong thing leads to perspective shift. Now, perspective is a fancy word. Uh, if any of you guys are fancy Nancy fans or have watched kids, so yeah, right? As she always says, that's a fancy word for... <laughs> is a perspective is a fancy... I'm sorry, I have small children. Uh, but fancy is, a, is a, a, a fancy. Perspective is a fancy word uh, for our point of view. Right, that, that most of the time... And I struggle with this mightily. Most of the time, my point of view is right here, right? It is, it is forehead down, right, of, of what I've got to do and what uh, things are going on, and it's, it's just all right here. And I, and I anticipate anybody else, is that, that kind of ex- describes what they got going on to? Yeah. So how do we tell uh, what our perspective or point of view is? And so here is the test. If you're going to write something down, write something down. How do I tell what my perspective or point of view is? I want you to ask yourself what you're urgent about at the moment. And so this is a really good test for me, right? What are we urgent about at the moment? And I'm saying we're not, we don't need to sit here and say my perspective is good or bad, but what is my, pers- uh, what is my perspective? That's kind of the question. What am I urgent about right now? So let's look one more place in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, a little bit earlier um, in, verse, um, in verse 7 through 9. And so this is after the episode that they um, have uh, seen, that they've had a conversation with the serpent, that they've seen the fruit, that they've seen that it was uh, pleasing to the eye, desirable for wisdom, um, and desirable for food, and they ate some, and it says this, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, okay, and they knew that they were naked. So what is the trajectory of when their eyes were opened, their perspective changed, where did their eyes go? Did they go up, or did they go down? Down, right? Oh, (laughs) didn't notice that before. And then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cars. I mean, we see that that perspective shift, right, when they went outside of um, God's teaching, right, that that's something, uh, understand even in the garden, that it's something that they're learning to do, right, that they're learning what God's perspective is, that they're learning what, uh, what he wants them to do and why it's good. What we see here is that as their perspective was expanded past the horizon, right, it's here's the, here's the below the line, Right, that they know they were naked and then they took care of those physical needs. They no longer were con- concerned or, or interested in what God had to say. Here they're, they notice themselves and are kind of consumed with themselves immediately. For they take care of that first. 
right? And verse 8 says, And they, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. Right, as they noticed, right, what do we do? What do we do when we get overwhelmed with us? <laughs> right, anybody else do this? I've noticed my tendency to do this, particularly since the pandemic, more and more folks are, are finding this a more natural, uh, more natural uh, thing to do. Right, we withdraw, we isolate. And they did as well. They isolate from community. And we isolate from the community of God. And when we are in, uh, when I have been in sin, church is the last place that I want to be. It, the community is, is one of the last places I want to be. When it, and that's me, me being scared. When, when I have come into that community, right, and dealt with what's going on, I have always been uh, welcomed. But it's me, I'm ashamed, not them. And so it's, it's really, uh, this, is, this is really telling. Verse 9, and then God, and the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? Right, in the midst of our perspective shift of down, in the midst of our wanting to isolate, in the midst of not wanting to be where with God, God is still searching for us, right? He is wanting us uh, for that to not be our perspective because that perspective moves him away from us, uh, moves us away from him, not him from us. So thoughts or questions about that before we uh, just hit on a couple more things in our time. Does that make sense about how we do that, about that, that horizon where our eyes are? What we're urgent for, right, reveals what our perspective is. Does that hold true for everyone else? Does anyone else have, does that hold true for them as it relates to how do I figure out where my perspective is? Any thoughts, questions about that? All right, so back to this idea of where we place our urgency shows my perspective. So to tell what we're hoping in, right, we look at what we're urgent for. All right, where are we urgent for the kingdom, right, or are we urgent for something else? So as we often talk about, this is not this place where like everyone should automatically be urgent for the kingdom because that's not what you're used to doing. But we've got to think through that. That if consistently my urgency is never for the kingdom, then what is my perspective? And how does it need to be changed? So, all right, so I want you a quick, um, quick little exercise. All right, well, I want you to think through that kind of out loud uh, with uh, some people around you and see if they agree. Is that as you're thinking through, right, is urgency a good indicator of perspective? All right, so you, can, you may come up with something. So just talk around with somebody around you. In your life, think about things that you've been urgent for over the last week or month. Is that urgency a good indicator, right, of a perspective shift? All right, so what do we think? Is that a good indicator? Alec, what do you think? <laughs> And so the, uh, the perspective shift, right, is um, kind of this idea of think about what changes your perspective for the better, 
right? It, it broadens it. It lifts the eyes up. One, one of the um, two kind of seminal moments in life, right? A, a wedding, right? Or a funeral. I can't think of anything that gives me better perspective than either one of those things, right? As you go, the funeral you don't want to, but every time I leave, I have the proper perspective. Wherever, whatever's going on in my head, when I go into that place and I see the, uh, the fragileness of life, right? Celebrating the right things, right? The, uh, what, what's so hard about somebody uh, that obviously didn't. What about you? What draws um, other thoughts about uh, how this is true in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Right. There are times when we uh, that let, let me make sure uh, there's there's it's okay right to have to deal with earthly things. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but yeah, but I think it is these moments when we notice that 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 uh, our heads kind of down too much right. Do we notice the things that lift our eyes? Maybe one more. How about up here? Yeah. It's like when you squeeze the sponge and you see what comes out. Like yeah. When you're down to a moment, you see what you really care about what you really want. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to uh, the, the idea in Romans um, 8 where hoping in what we don't see. So I want you to think about this horizon line, right? As we lift our eyes up, right, we're hoping our ultimate hope then is what's not there. Right below the horizon line is things that we can see, tangible, touchable. And so that is kind of the question. Right, if we choose to place our trust in what we cannot see, we are looking to reverse the sin, right, that all of us uh, had in Adam and Eve. Right, we're looking to reverse that sin of, of always looking down, right, and trying to look up. Because we are choosing, right, to lift our eyes up, to hope in something here, to change that perspective. Right, and when we do that, the now, right, that we're so consumed with, ugh, wish I had different chips. <laughs> this chip flavor is just terrible. Man, if I just had fill in the blank, right? I mean, we're, I mean, the things that we get mad about, gracious. <laughs> But that now, as I change my perspective, who cares about the chips, you know? Like, the chips are fine. But as I think about, um, as I lift my eyes up, the now is swallowed up by eternity, right? That, that thing that's gigantic in my vision, what happens? It gets so small when we get perspective, when we're able to kind of pull out of that. And so eternity has its realities instead of, the, um, instead of being kind of uh, bogged down in the urgencies of the day. So urgency says, I will be moved by this, whatever the thing is, right? The thing that comes into your peripheral. That is the thing I must be urgent about. I will be moved by this. I really want X to happen. Right, but proper perspective, we talk about perspective, but there is a proper perspective that we can have, and that is kind of our fight throughout the day, is to fight for proper perspective, because 
when you have proper perspective, what are you able to do as it relates to living your life? Of understanding who you are in Christ. We have proper perspective. What does that allow you? We don't have it much, but when you have it, what happens? Yeah, it does, right? What else? Correct. So if urgency says, I will be moved by this thing, right? Proper perspective says, I shall not be moved. I shall not take my eyes off the horizon. And this is what I would call an attitude of hope. And so we want to look at uh, one quick scripture, and this is uh, one of many. It's Psalm 62, 2. It's up here on the screen. Somebody read uh, this one for me. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. So we're talking about being immovable, right? This attitude of hope that this is what I hope in. I don't need to hope in other things. So we change from, hey, we, we have responsibilities and we have things to do. Those are fine, right? The issue is us hoping in those things. Okay? Does that make sense? As I have... As I lift my eyes up, as that is a regular thing that I do, right, it allows everything else to be put in the proper perspective. Grades are important. Relationships are important. School's important. Jobs are important, right? But it doesn't go into my realm of hope. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're fighting for, is not to let it get up there. (laughs) Not to let those things be the things that we're hoping in. Not that is my rock. Not that is my salvation. So many times, right, have you said that about things and stuff and events and places? No, but he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my stronghold. Therefore, I shall not be shaken. That is the perspective that we've got to fight for. All right. So quick thought experiment. Why are people so enamored, and this is all people, with uh, national parks, with, uh, with views, with settings. Talk amongst yourselves real, real quick. Why are people, like, love that? And it's good to like that, okay? So we're not, there's not like a gotcha. <laughs> Why? All right. What do we think? Our, why do people love going... To national parks, why do love, people love sitting on a horizon garage or going to places where just for the view? I think even, like, even if you're not a Christian, you enjoy seeing God's creation. Absolutely, yeah. I think depending on where you're at, like the vibrancy of the colors. Yeah, yeah. Walt had a real succinct answer here. The vibes. <laughs> just radiating right off of. Uh, off of it. Maybe one more. Why, why are we so enamored with those things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think all that's right. Right, so the answer is it's, it's in the glory that is to be revealed. Right, how far do we travel to get these views? We hike up to the top of the garage at a very particular time. We'll, dry, we'll, we'll buy, spend hundreds of of dollars for plane tickets to dry, you know, to fly out across the country just to see a view. Right? It is the glory to be revealed. 
right? Wait for it. Right here it comes. And you're like, it's more beautiful than I thought it could. But in hope, right? In hope I buy the plane ticket. In hope I hike up the stairs. In hope I, right, drive the car. In hope I call my friends and organize and go through all the pains to what? To see the glory revealed. We all know the spots, right? Oh, have you been to Pretty Place? Right, have you gone on the top of Table Rock? Right, have you seen the Grand Canyon? I saw the um, prettiest sunset I've seen is in Haiti on top of a mission house. So there's nothing between the house and the horizon, it's just ocean. And, every, and they had the, had the whole roof done up just so you could sit there and watch the sunset every night. Every single person, miles around you look and everyone was on the rooftop because of that view, because of the glory to be revealed. Right, but in this also we kind of betray ourselves, right? Because we, we long to kind of see beauty, but in ever-increasing measure because pretty place is not enough, is it? How many times do we go up to Horizon Garage to see the sunset when it's just like, eh, I've seen this one. I've been to the Grand Canyon, what else? What's prettier than the Grand Canyon, right? We reveal, right, where that, that our hearts long for that, and yet it's still not enough but we want to see it but when we look at kind of beauty too much right it reveals our hearts but also takes away our imagination our imagination is really important right that is what we're hoping for who hopes for what one sees we don't look at a sunset hoping for another sunset we 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 enjoy it right Yeah, how often that we are chased away that, that we, that it's almost kind of like a drug. We want to see that beauty in increasing measure, right? We try to outdo each other <laughs> in that way. And so here's the issue of, um, the issue of too much beauty. Is that and the sunset draws our eye up. The, our being enamored with beauty actually inevitably drives our eyes down. Right, because we exchange the beauty of that sunset, right, for lesser things. That we're okay with lesser things, even though our heart cries out for, for the sunset. And too much beauty and our thirst for it can be distracting. Right, the power of beauty is the same power of dessert and the same power of a good day, right? It's in contrast to what we see around us. Does that make sense? I make this mistake over and over and over again. It's what Paul is trying to teach us about what we should hope in, that, that which we do not see. So as we finish up here, uh, kind of two closing thoughts. We need to protect our hope, and we need to hope in the right thing. The reason why we need to protect our hope is think of, if you guys are familiar with the story of Esau, Jacob and Esau. Esau sold his hope for some soup. But he was really, really hungry. 
right? There's always a reason <laughs> to hope in the wrong thing, but that doesn't make it right. Right, I want us to uh, always tell, let's distinguish between explanation and excuse. And we need to hope in the right thing. 1 John 3, 3 says, And everyone who has this hope, speaking of the hope of Christ, speaking of the hope of resurrection, thinking of the hope of glory, right? If he fixes this on him, it purifies himself. Versus, right, when we have too much hope in the wrong thing, right, it, it contaminates us. Fixes on hope, it purifies himself just, just as he is pure. So last, uh, last metaphor. For some, our hope um, looks surprising like the hope that exists when we pass a cop going 80 and a 65. What does that hope look like? <laughs> Y'all have all felt that. You're like, da 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 man, this is awesome, man. I'm passing all these people. I'm going to get there all the time. And then you pass the cop, you're like, Everybody has felt that feeling, have you not? What, what, what has your hope transitioned, what kind of hope uh, have you transitioned into? <laughs> That's right. Right, the hope is in our desire not to suffer consequences. Because we know, again, it, it's, it's, it's the speed limit, whatever. Right? I'm not here to debate how we should feel about that. But it doesn't take away the case that when we see the cop, I don't care what your argument is, your heart and stomach drops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that feeling's like, oh man. Right, but what we're hoping in at that point, right, is desire to not suffer consequences. And far too often, guys, believers, this is the, this is the extent of our hope. That we hope not to suffer the consequences of our actions. It's not in Jesus. It's not in kingdom stuff. It's not in glory. It's that. It's that I just hope that I don't have to suffer the consequences because the bad is, the, not bad is the good. But it's the difference between walking over there and looking at tunnel vision <laughs> or flying out to the Grand Canyon. If you're not familiar with tunnel vision, it's a, it's a painting of a sunset right on the back of the building over here. I really hope that I'm not judged for what I've done. But the hope that God wants us to have is persevering in driving the speed limit. That if we trust God has said that that is the good thing, then we are waiting and hoping in expectation by being obedient. Does that make sense? Now we're not hoping to get out of it doing whatever we want, but we're in hope we put ourselves right under His Lordship and say, go 65, in hope that 65 will be better than 85. You're like, not, no. That might... <laughs> 
But think about it, right? 85 is me choosing, right, to go my own way at the pace that I want, deciding for it. And God says, no, it's 65. Will you trust me? Will you hope in something else other than getting there when you want to? That hurts. That's real. Everyone else is zooming past me. <laughs> it's a good metaphor. I have a picture of uh, uh, a framed quote. Anybody have framed quotes? Anybody forget to look at them? <laughs> but uh, on my bookshelf in my office, at the very top, because I don't have a whole lot of wall space, is that there's, I think there's six quotes on the very top of the bookshelf. I've got to look up, and I did that on purpose, right? And one of the quotes says this. It's by uh, John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, 500-year-old book. And he's talking to Christian, the main character in the book. He says, Alas, poor man, is the celestial glory of so small esteem with him that he counteth it not worth running the hazard of a few difficulties to obtain it. Is 65... If I get glory, if I go 65, is it worth it? Man, what a question. Because I get in the car all the time not driving 65. I don't know that I've ever driven 65. <laughs> Somebody was blocking my way. So here's, the, so here's kind of the closing, um, closing question. What are you prone to place your hope in? What causes your eyes to go down? What are you pr prone to place your hope in? If you've got something to write, if you're just getting a, a mental, just like think, think some things. Just what are, what are your things that cause your eyes to come down? For Eve, it was the fruit. <laughs> Saw that it was good for wisdom, pleasing to the eye, and good for food. You're going to have reasons to pick the things that are prone to, uh, to, cast your, uh, to place your hope in, to cast your eyes down. What are those? We need to know ourselves. The issue is not what your things are, but that you know what your things are. Right? You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. We all have those things. And then, so, if, if, what are those things I'm prone to do, and then how do they change my perspective? Right, this is internalizing those things that I'm prone to. What do they do to me that I don't really realize? As I was uh, a little bit older than you as a young man, I have said this many times, I loved sports. I watched them, I talked about them, and I, I still do much to my chagrin. I'm trying not to, but I sneak scores and I'm reading articles and, and so I'm, I'm trying, I'm recovering. But why I say that to you is because one of these things, as I thought about what my hope was in, it was in the entertainment and how much enjoyment I got out of following the teams and keeping up with them and them winning and things like that. But I got to this point that every weekend I was miserable. Like every weekend. If all my teams, if I'm watching like all weekend, didn't win 55 to nothing, <laughs> I wasn't real happy about it. And I, and I was thinking, what am I placing my hope in? Because... My urgency, right, was going off. Like, hey, hey, these things, these are the things that I'm urgent for, right? These random teams that I've chosen to root for. <laughs> and then my hope is in that because what happened is it didn't come true. I was noticing over and over and over and over again that I was not, uh, that I was not joyful, 
that like I was basically in a bad mood all the time because all the teams I chose to root for were terrible. <laughs> How does that change your perspective? Our eyes up, our eyes down. James 1.17, every good thing, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. John 3.30, I must increase, he must increase, I must decrease. But we've, very rarely that's one we're used to. We've seen the, the window decal. But do we see John 3.31, he who comes from above is above all. That's why we need to cast our eyes up. Above everything. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So questions uh, or thoughts as we close there. Where do we struggle with this? What is encouraging about lifting our eyes up? Paul's challenge. This is me, this is me asking what, what you've learned. The exit ticket, if you will, if you ever had a teacher do that. A couple thoughts as we close here. Very true. Somebody else. Bia. It's so important to like, check yourself and be like, am I looking up? Am I looking down? What, where are my eyes fixed right now? Am I, are my eyes fixed on the water? Are they doing something on the earth? And am I living my life to glorify God? Something that I have to bring myself forward yeah. Think about the next week. You're inevitably going to be in like, I'm mad or I'm angry or I'm frustrated or whatever. And think about where your perspective is and think about how I can change that perspective. Right? It's in that moment. That is the power of hope. Absolutely. This ice cream cone is good, not like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we enter into this week, Lord, that we would lift our eyes up much, 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 much more than we have this past week. Lord, that I would uh, put my phone away and I would look out the window that I would spend some time just putting my head back a little bit and seeing what, what you see. There's so much less up there. <laughs> Father, it, it's, it's crazy what that does to us when, we, when you allow us to have perspective, when we just change our viewing angle. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, that hope that you have instilled in us, Father, if, if we do hope in you, Lord, would, would change everything. And Lord, I pray as we go into uh, the rest of our day, uh, Father, that you would give us rest, uh, Lord, that you would um, help us have a good time of fellowship this evening for whomever able to come out. 
And Lord, that we would look to you uh, above all else. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.